Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Jonah 4, 5 through 11. Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in it, in the shade, till he should see what would come of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant. For which you did not labor, nor did you know it, make it grow, but came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people, persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the reading of the, the word. You may be seated. Thank you, Audra. Well, before we jump in, uh, I, I had an experience last week that I've never had. I've never been a part of a church that, it, that, that t- taught through a book of the Bible that inspired culinary art. Like there's, a, we, we had this, and unfortunately, I don't think we have the picture of the other one, but, you know, two watermelons. One was a fish, one's a whale. Um, yeah, I just never had that happen. But just opportunity to say thank you again for all of you who served. It was a great time at the picnic. Those who were guests that some that don't know the Lord were just welcomed. And I'm so grateful for that for you. And I'm grateful for the ladies that served to clean our building. There are three young ladies in our church that do that uh, because there, there was a trail of all kinds of things. Even yesterday morning, they were still here, and they cleaned it up, and so I'm so grateful for those ladies. So let's jump back in to Jonah, and actually, this is our last day in the book of Jonah. And if you remember from last week, as we come to chapter four, chapter four doesn't feel like it should be in the Bible, because the story of the book of Jonah, you know, as you know, as we've gone through, Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. He doesn't. He goes the other way. God appoints a storm uh, to Uh, rocks the ship that he's in instead of going back the other way and saying, hey, why don't you row back the other direction? Uh, He says, throw me in the water. They throw him in the water. He goes down into the sea. God appoints a fish. The fish comes, gets him. He comes to kind of a place of seeing his need for God's mercy, gets picked up on to the land, and then he does go to Nineveh, and he preaches the message that he's supposed to preach, and the people of Nineveh, they just from from the pauper and the average person to the king, put on sackcloth and ashes, and they turn to God. And it seems like, like that should be it. Like, that should be that. That is like a wonderful culmination to any story you read, any movie you watch. But that's not how it ends. We, we turn to the beginning of chapter 4, 
And we discover Jonah is angry. He's angry. And, and last week, we, we delved into, well, why was he angry? What was going on in his heart? And so we spent most of the time talking about Jonah. But this morning, we're going to spend most of our time talking about God. Because as we open up the Bible, anytime you open up the Bible, whether you're at home, uh, whether you're in church, uh, we want to see God. Because this book isn't about us. It's about God. Now, yes, there are times when the Bible specifically articulates something about God, tells us something about his character. Other times it tells us about what things God wants us to do. But then there's other times where we see God's attributes as we see God interact with his people. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at five different kind of attributes of God's character as he interacts with Jonah. But I think we're going to see those, those attributes and how they apply and to us. So before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the word, that you aren't sitting up somewhere on a mountain high and lifted up and just letting us run rampant. You have compassion and you display mercy. And I pray, Father, that you would show us yourself this morning, that we'd be aware of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we're going to look at five aspects of God's character as we see God interact with Jonah. So the first one we come to is that God is patient. So if we look back at verse 4, which we read last week, and it says, The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So Jonah's obviously flaming angry. And then it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So the picture we have, you know, it's Jonah. He's just like going, he's just like chilling out, right? He's, he's on the edge, he's under, got a shade kind of. He's just, he's, he's waiting. He's kind of waiting to see if God's going to destroy the city. Even though God's already relented, he's, that's what's going on. He's kind of angry about that. Well, maybe, maybe God will still destroy the city. And we don't see God going, I am done with Jonah. I'm just absolutely done with Jonah I'm, I'm just going to smite him right there. Just, I can do that. He, I could have left him in the bottom of the, of the sea, but I'm just absolutely done. But that's not what we see. We see God asking Jonah questions. We see Jonah acting like a child of sorts, kind of being grumpy, like we talked about last week, like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son who's just kind of grumpy. He's just kind of over here under just kind of waiting. What's going to happen? What is going to happen? God's, God's patient with Jonah. Even this whole chapter just feels like awkward, like why is he even responding this way? But yet we see God continuing to interact because our sanctification takes time. And God knows our hearts in the midst of it. God knows Jonah's hearts. I mean, for us, it's on full display. We can see what's going on. But one commentator said this. He said, God knows the totality of the human heart. So God even knows the condition of your heart. 
And this does not exhaust God's love and patience. He continues to take the rebellious child by the hand. So the picture here in this story is like of one where you see a parent grab a child's hand. You've seen this happen. Maybe you saw it at the fair this summer. Maybe you've seen it at the grocery store where a child does not want to do what their parent wants them to do, right? And they're just like kicking and screaming. And the parent is just holding on, right? Just leading them to where they need to go. Now, I know you don't always see the parents have like a face that just looks like it's shining, like they just came out of heaven, right? In that moment. But there's patience there. There's an endurance that's happening there. The King James translates the word patience, long-suffering for a reason, because that's what patience feels like. And God is patient. God is patient with us. Now, that doesn't mean that God does nothing. God is actively working in us while he is being patient with us in the process. He's asking Jonah questions. He's working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight. And in his patience, he is lovingly exposing Jonah's self-righteousness by displaying his power, and he's purposeful in displaying his power. Because the story goes on. Look back at your Bibles. In verse 6, And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. God's working. Jonah is clearly having a stinky heart, right? He's clearly got a stinky heart right now, and yet God appoints a plant. God is purposeful. He has the ability to create something out of nothing. He creates this to bring comfort but he's doing everything with intentionality in the book of Jonah. He appoints a storm to come and rock the boat that Jonah was on as he was running from the presence of the Lord. He appoints a fish to save Jonah from dying in the sea. And then here we see three times in three verses, he appoints a plant for comfort. And then he's purposeful again in verse seven. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God appointed a worm. Like, God even uses the smallest of little details to accomplish his purposes. Then eight, then the sun rose. God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. All the circumstances of Jonah's life they're, they're appointed and under God's power, but under also his purposeful care. God is purposeful in your life. It's not just that he has the ability to be powerful. He is powerful, but he uses that purposefully in your life. God, God appoints the great fish in our life to deliver us. In various circumstances, absolutely in Christ Jesus, as we'll talk more about. He appoints shade in our life to bring comfort when we have challenges that come. He appoints sometimes the worms in our life, I think, because when there's times when we're struggling and our hearts need to be exposed. I think that's what God was doing here with Jonah. 
He shows his comfort and his love, but Jonah's not seeing what's going on in his heart, so he appoints this worm to come. And what happens? Jonah's heart gets exposed. I want to die. That's what he says. As Jonah sits and watches the city, God gives him a metaphor. God gives him a metaphor of of the coming eternal judgment. This heat of the wind. And yet Jonah is, is more concerned about his comfort than than he is about the lostness of souls. And God wants to get his attention. And I think God wants to get our attention. One theologian uh, helpfully makes the connection between Jonah and the modern day church. He says, many Christians are this way. What concerns them most are all the little nothings of church life. The color of the carpet, they're standing in the church pecking order, minor details of the musical performance while giving no concern to the greater matters of the gospel. Even the greatest of believers, like the prophet Jonah, can reduce themselves to spiritual pygmies unless they elevate their perspective above the small concerns of self. And he goes on. He's like, experience shows that self-centered people are the most unhappy people. They constantly complain, are never satisfied, take no joy out of life, give little joy to others, and precious little glory to God unless our hearts become consumed with causes and glories far greater than those of self. We waste our gifts and calling and sit miserably under the beating sun of the world's trials, wishing we could die. That certainly brings about some conviction. But God is intentional. He wants to open our eyes to see the greater causes that are out there. But in so doing, God isn't distant from us. It's not like he just goes, open your eyes, people, figure it out. No, God's actually opposite than from what Jonah's doing. Jonah goes outside the city. He distances himself from those who are broken. But God does the opposite. God attaches himself. Now, I'm not talking about like physical, like attaching you at the hip. But God God comes and, and has intimate relationship. Now, we kind of see that relationship working itself out in verse 4 as he's asking the question, do you well, do well to be angry? And then he asks it again in verse 9, and he says this, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Why does God, God still keep asking him the question? Why would God ask him the question? Why does God just be like, oh, well, he already gave me the answer. I'm just kind of done with this guy. It's because as we've noted in the book of Jonah, when we see the word Lord come up, that's referencing Yahweh, God's covenant name with his people. He has covenanted with his people. He has connected himself to his people. And it looks like something. It looks like his patience. It looks like he's using his power purposefully. In 
in ancient times, there were a couple of, there were, there were different ways of expressing love. Two of them were the love of benevolence and the love of attachment. The love of benevolence is like, you can, you can love somebody no matter what they're like. You can love somebody even if you don't like them. Even if you despise them, you can, you can express acts of love. You can love people, but you don't have to like them to love them. That's just a love of benevolence I'm doing. But then this other love, this love of attachment is where a heart is kind of like bound up and purposefully loving someone else. That's what's happening, what God is displaying here with Jonah. God is both leaning in and he desires to lean in. He's compelled to love because he's a loving God. And we see his heart elsewhere in scripture. In Hosea 11.8, this is what he speaks about his people. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Now, he says those words in the context, in, in the book of Hosea, where the nation of Israel is living in sin. They had committed evil acts, yet God is broken. His heart is broken over them. And we see this heart from God in verses 10 and 11 when you see the word pity. There's, there's this uh, word that means grieving over someone or something, a heart that's broken, a heart that's weeping. Because when we attach ourselves to someone, we can be happy when they're happy, but also when we attach ourselves to someone, there is agony when they experience agony, or there's agony when maybe that person makes choices that, that aren't helpful or even hurtful for themselves or others. There's this agony that's felt. And the love that's expressed, as God attaches, is one where you open yourself up to suffering. You open yourself up to hurt and agony. God did not have to grieve over his people. God's sovereign and providential and knows everything. He didn't, he didn't have to experience those things. But he links himself to people, though it means pain and anguish for him. What happens to Nineveh affected him. What happens to Jonah affects him because he continues to be patient with Jonah. What happens to you? affects your God. There's, there's intimacy that happens there because we are found in Christ and we have relationship with God. We often can treat God with this like distance, like he's distant from us, but there's just like this relationship that is actually there. This relationship where God cares about you, grieves over you, is intentional in your life. Now that doesn't mean that God, I don't want this to sound cold, that God, God needs the relationship with us as if God had a hole in his heart that he needed to fill with us because there was something missing in his life. God wasn't like, oh, one day, you know, there's just been something missing in my life for like all of eternity. I need to do something. I need to create people. That's what I need to do because they'll complete me. No, God is completely separate. 
He, he is completely self-sufficient, has no need for us. And even when we, we sing a song uh, that has like a line that says something like, he didn't want heaven without us. That's not speaking to the fact of like, he's missing something. That's speaking to the fact of he wants us there. And he's willing to do what's needed to be done for us to be there out of his love and compassion, not because he needed us there, but because he knew we needed to be there. So he loves voluntarily. He loves because it's in his nature to love. It's not a codependent relationship where he's got he's to do this thing to try to get us to do things and we got to do this stuff. But we can relate to God in that kind of codependent kind of way. We can act like like our relationship with God depends on us doing something. I got I to gotta do something. Or maybe it's like the walking on eggshells. Um, did I do everything I needed to do today before I get and, and pray? Did I, did I do all that, that I... Or what do I feel like I need to do for God to like me more or bless me more? We don't... We don't pay God back. We don't manipulate God. We can't earn his love. All those things that moralism and legalism. God attaches himself to us because of his steadfast love and mercy through sending his son Jesus that we would have a relationship with him. And my prayer is that we would understand that and come into a fuller understanding of God's pursuit of us and his love for us. Again, not that he doesn't work in us. He's certainly working in us to grow, but he attaches himself to us because of his steadfast love and mercy, not because he needs us, but because he is compassionate. In verses 10 and 11, the word pity is translated compassionate sometimes. Because when you have compassion, you feel what others feel. You're broken over their situation. And God is functionally telling Jonah, you weep over plants and I weep over people. Because God weeps, as it says in, in, verses, in verse uh, 11, it says, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Individuals who are spiritually blind. He's, he's showing compassion for those who are walking in darkness. They're uncertain. And there's, there's so many that are walking around in a spiritual fog. And the uncertainties of our day are, are exposing that reality. And and there's nothing to guide them. There's nothing to discern what is right and wrong. And then there's, there's arguing over what is right and wrong. But God doesn't sit up in heaven and look down on those who are spiritually confused and go, you idiots. I can't believe you don't notice that I'm here. Oh, I'm just, I'm absolutely dumb. I'm done with you. No, he, he looks with compassion. He looks with compassion. And he wants us to be aware of 
his compassion so that it changes us. When we're aware of his compassion for us, it changes the way that we look at others. It changes the way that we look at those who are blind. We have to remember when you don't know Jesus, you, you don't have clarity of what, who God is, what he calls you to do, none of that. But there's a brokenness, that there's a need for that. Tim Keller expounded on this when he said, when we look at people who have brought trouble into their lives by their own foolishness, we can say things like, serves them right. Or maybe we mock them on social media. What kind of imbecile says something like this? When we see people of the other political party defeated, we just gloat. This is all a way of detaching ourselves from them. We distance ourselves from them partly out of pride and partly because we don't want their unhappiness to be ours. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. God doesn't go, I don't want their unhappiness to be mine. I'm just going to distance myself and not enter into relationship there. No, real compassion, the voluntary attachment of our hearts to others means the sadness of their condition makes us sad. It affects us. That, it's, that is deeply uncomfortable. It is deeply uncomfortable when you enter into lives that are broken and hurting. It is not comfortable. It is not easy. You open yourselves up to hurt, but it expresses God's heart of compassion. It expresses God's heart of compassion. I'm not advocating that we aren't wise, but yet may we be just in awe of God's heart of compassion and not get so focused on the little things. Like Jonah's focused on, on the plant and he totally misses, he misses the people that are coming to know God because he's so focused on this one thing and his comfort. And we can get hyper-focused on little things. Here's a little example of something that we can get hyper-focused on. There's any number of illustrations. So we, we can't get hyper-focused on a box. But in this box are shoes, right? You know, shoes, that for some reason in our houses seem to make babies, right? They just seem to be everywhere. Like, who, who has this many shoes? Where are they? Like, and where's the other one of this shoe? Like, like did you lose? Did you lose a foot and you only needed one of your shoes? Why can't you put your shoes away? Why can't you put them in the space that the, and this one has mud on the shoes, and it's, that's the, we just, and we go off. And there's any number of things like that in our house or in our lives. But friends, the, the grace of God and our children knowing the grace of God is far more important than a tidy house. And there could be any number of things. It's not about the shoes or what happens with shoes in your house. 
There are so many things that we can get hyper-focused on, like Jonah got hyper-focused on, but God wants us to focus on his grace. Yes, in our homes, is it wise to train our children to be orderly and responsible? Absolutely. I'm not advocating that you don't have a shoe place. But do your children know the grace of God? Do the people in your life know the grace of God? You have the opportunity to express the grace of God, to say, you know, that's important. It's not, it's not that it's unimportant, but here's what's more important. Here's what you need to understand. Get at the heart and the truth. What is, what is important? And, and ask the question, like, what, what is the Nineveh that, that in your life right now, maybe you should have compassion for and you don't? What, what is the Nineveh in your life? That could be a person. It could be a category of people. It could be some people in your life right now. Who is the Nineveh? What is the Nineveh that you have no compassion for? What are the big important things in the world that God cares about that he wants you to care about and to set your mind on? Because God is compassionate. He looks beyond the blindness and he has compassion. And remember, God's looked beyond your blindness to have compassion on you because he sent his son to display his mercy. And that's the, the fifth character trait. God is merciful. He's merciful to persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. I don't know why cattle is like the last word in the book. But he's just completely thorough throughout the whole everything. But he, he shows his mercy. And mercy, just to be reminded, mercy is the big theme, God's mercy, as we've gone through the book of Jonah. Mercy is when you spare others because you have a heart of compassion for them. And when we read, who do not know they're right from their left. What does that remind us of? It reminds us of Jesus on the cross who says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Remember, Jesus says that. Jesus doesn't just say that on the cross, but we see his heart of compassion as you, as you think of the passion, as you think of leading up to Jesus going to the cross. What happens with him? He he rides into the city on a donkey, not on a massive entourage that would have honored him as should have honored him. No, he rides there. He knew he would suffer violent beatings by the hands of the Romans, and he does. He knew he would experience loneliness on the cross as his father would turn his face away. He knew he was going to do something that he did not deserve. But yet, where do we see his heart? What do we see? We see him broken over the waywardness of his people. Instead of being full of anger and absorbed in self-pity like Jonah, we see him say this in Luke 19. Jesus saw the city. He wept for it, saying, If you knew this day, what would bring peace? 
But now it is hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. He's wept for them. And back in verse or chapter 13, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jonah didn't weep over the city, but Jesus did weep over the city. And Jesus knows, he doesn't say they're not guilty. God doesn't say they're not guilty. Jesus doesn't say we're not guilty. But Jesus sees us and he says, no, they, they are and they need my sacrifice. And he goes to the cross. They don't know what they're doing. And when we see the cross, we see the full display of God's mercy. Friends, Jonah, Jonah, he, he sits outside the gate hoping for God's judgment. Jesus goes to Golgotha outside the gate to take upon himself God's judgment. That's what Christ has done. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We have a book, Gentle and Lowly, that we've given out before. We have a bunch of copies in the back if you want to grow more intimate with the understanding of Christ. It's a great resource. Feel free to take one when you go. But Christ died for your sins. And if you are just encountering that reality today, we want to pray with you before you go. John's going to be at the back table at the end of the meeting. He would love to pray with you. I'll be up here. Wes will be up here. Find one of the greeters that you came in. Don't leave here without, without having a time where you encounter Christ afresh. Now, as we see Christ in the story, and as the story comes to an end, it's not finished. Not only is chapter four awkward and you're like, why is this even in here? But then you don't finish the story. All I got is cattle. What, what happens to Jonah? What, what's going on with Jonah? Like, does he, does he get it? Does God finally, is he finally done with him? What, what, what happens? I think Sinclair Ferguson shares a great observation about this. He says, this book, forces us to contemplate our personal destiny. It remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusion. For you are Jonah and I am Jonah. The story ends open-ended because God's not done yet. God wants us to examine our hearts, but he wants us to see him this whole time. God's pursuing Jonah so that he will see his heart. And God is pursuing you so that you will see his heart, so that you can be overwhelmed by his amazing character, his compassion, his patience, his powerful, his purposefulness in your life, his compassion for you and for others, and the fact that he's attached himself to you. 
In the ultimate display of Jesus going to the cross, as we looked at his attributes, we see the attributes of Jesus because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's what the scriptures tell us about Christ. If you want to know more about God, look at Jesus. If you want to experience more of God, pursue Jesus. Because Jesus was patient, just like God. He's patient with his disciples. He calms the storm for them. And he's patient time and again. He created, as we learned at the beginning of John chapter 1, that, that all things were made through him. And of course, we know throughout looking at the Gospels that Jesus you know, healed ears, he healed diseases, he did things that are outside the bounds of what seems to be natural law because when he speaks, things happen. But he was purposeful and he was intentional. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm just, I have this ability to do that. No, he was getting at people's hearts because he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And Jesus unites himself to us because we are known now to be in Christ, to be raised with Christ as we did baptisms on the front lawn last week. When we put those individuals in under the water, it was to represent death. And then when we brought them back out, that represents our new life in Christ. Christ, not our new life to do new rules, to follow this thing, to check off this box. No, that new life that's found in Christ because we are redeemed. He has pursued us. The one, the one who is with us is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He understands every trial and challenge that we face and he constantly shows compassion. You see throughout the Gospels, Jesus is just displaying compassion. And in, in the book of Matthew, he has compassion for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless, and he has compassion for them. And then, obviously, as we've talked, he is the ultimate display of God's mercy by going to the cross. Now, friends, the title of this series is God's mercy in unlikely places. Now, initially, as we get into the book of Jonah, we think, well, God's mercy in this unlikely place of this sinner guy, Jonah, who's just rebellious, God's mercy in his life. Or, or then it's God's mercy in the life of the sailors who don't know God, but they come to know God because they encounter his power and his provision and his peace, or maybe it's finding God mercy in the place of the depths of despair that, that Jonah finds himself in the fish, or maybe it's in the place we see God's mercy in the place of Nineveh, a people who were evil to the core, and they respond, or maybe it's God's mercy in just dealing with Jonah as he just doesn't seem to fully get it. He kind of gets it a little, but he doesn't fully get it. Yeah, we saw God's mercy in those places, but this book is meant to point us to his mercy and to see God's mercy in our lives. Because the unlikely place where God's mercy shouldn't have been that it is poured out for you because of what Jesus has done on the cross is in your life. So never think, no, God's mercy is for someone else, someone else in our church, someone else over there. What I've done is too much. No. 
God wants you to know he's patiently pursuing you and he's committed to seeing your life transformed by the power of the gospel. And one day it will be completely transformed when we see Jesus face to face. But let's be reminded of God's mercy in our lives and let's look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that your mercy is on full display when we look to the cross. I thank you, God, that we, we sing songs and we're led by a team of people that love Jesus and are pointing us to Christ. And Lord, as we enter into this next year, not just those who are students and teachers, but all of us, as we enter into this, this coming kind of school year season of time that feels like fresh starts or new beginnings or new anxieties, Father, would the thing that we be most aware of is your pursuit of us and our redemption in Christ Jesus where you have displayed your mercy. So Lord, may we respond simply by being in awe and coming to you in worship. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.